Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the Prime Minister prepares to meet the media for the first time since the election. You are sending our Liberal team back to work, back to Ottawa with a clear mandate. What will it take for the NDP to support the Liberals? So we're not going to negotiate any of those things today, and we're not going to certainly not negotiate those things in, in, in the media. Uh, but we are going to lay out our priorities. We've laid those out already. And we're ready to work hard. And Andrew Scheer faces questions about his future as Conservative leader. Yes, I am staying as leader of the party. Uh, we obviously uh, are very happy with the many aspects of the campaign. Uh, we, uh, we obviously wish we uh, had better results, but we point to the fact that we won the popular vote. A million more votes for our party last night than, uh, than ever before. And uh, we have the strongest opposition in Canadian history. It's Wednesday, October 23rd. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Peter Van Dusen, CPAC's executive producer and the host of Primetime Politics. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, Mark. What do you expect to hear from the Prime Minister today? Obviously, there will be questions about the sequence of events. When will Parliament be recalled? When will he be announcing a new cabinet? And how far he's going to go to get the support of the NDP or the Bloc Québécois in order to be able to pass a throne speech? Those are all important questions at this stage, aren't they? Yeah, I think they are. I think probably the, you know, the, you know, the probably the most important set of questions all sort of flow from one question. How are you going to make this work? Uh, that's the simplest thing. He's got a pretty, pretty strong minority government. So, and there are different possibilities for how he makes it work. And, 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 you know, my sense is that given what I heard in the last sort of 24 hours, 48 hours from uh, the other parties, uh, other than the Conservatives, they're inclined to make it work because they're not in a rush to have another election. So I think the how, how you're going to make it work questions, uh, where you think you're going to be able to satisfy the concerns of the other parties. And I think a lot of questions, Mark, about this whole idea, that's uh, more than an idea, this fact that we're seeing that the Western Canada is really feeling, uh, you know, left aside and alienated by these results. And you, you look at it, and let's, let's, let's be clear, the West isn't monolithic. Not everybody votes that way, but uh, there are no liberal seats in Saskatchewan, and there are no liberal seats in the province of Alberta. And that's going to make it a challenge, especially when it comes time for the liberal prime minister to, to make deals work in the House of Commons with New Democrats and with the Bloc Québécois. And if a lot of Westerners see that they seem to be, their interests seem to be sacrificed or shifted to the side so that the minority government can survive by making deals with the New Democrats on the Bloc, I'm not sure how that anger subsides. I think it only gets worse. Yeah, and are there things that Justin Trudeau can do to kind of bring the West in on some level? I remember when Stephen Harper first formed a government in 2006, he uh, he appointed a senator and put him in his cabinet from the Montreal area because he didn't have an MP there. Uh, he convinced uh, a, a liberal MP to cross the floor and join his cabinet so he'd have some representation in Vancouver. Um, uh, I'm not suggesting those kinds of moves are in play here, but w- what could what could Justin Trudeau do to make sure he's showing uh, that, that uh, Alberta and Saskatchewan matter to him, even though he doesn't have liberal MPs in those provinces? Yeah, I would rule uh, those kinds of options out. Uh, I've heard that conversation about the possibility of appointing uh, of uh, you know naming senators to cabinet uh, to the cabinet from uh, 
Saskatchewan or Alberta, uh, that might be somewhat problematic because it sort of might raise questions about the uh, the whole way the project for the Senate was was set out by the Liberals, which is to was to have independent senators. So now if you're sitting in cabinet and you're trying to represent the interests of the government and be a sort of pipeline, uh, pardon the pun, uh, for the government in the province of Alberta or the province of Saskatchewan. But, I mean, he's going to have to look at, at ways to, to deal with this. And I, I, I think what I'd be interested in seeing is that it's going to have to be, he's going to have to be careful, I think, about having another one of those conversations about how we're going to listen to people. We may not always agree, but we're going to listen to people. My sense in talking to people at West is that we're past that. They're, they're not interested in explaining to the Prime Minister why it is they feel they're being left out, why they don't like the carbon tax. And, and, and again, to be clear, it's, it's not monolithic. There are people in uh, Alberta and Saskatchewan who love the idea of a carbon tax. Uh, so we separate what people are thinking in, in the general public and splits there versus what the elected politicians are saying. And they don't want a carbon tax. They don't want to have a discussion with Justin Trudeau about why they don't like the carbon tax just so they can let them know why they don't like the carbon tax. They want the discussion about the carbon tax to end with Justin Trudeau saying, OK, I won't apply a federal carbon tax in Saskatchewan, I won't apply it in Alberta, and I'll take a closer look at the kind of mitigating measures that your provincial governments are taking there. I'll give you a, a different kind of credit for those, which is what they're asking for, and and move past the conversation about we agree to disagree. They're not looking for that. Yeah, and it strikes me, and the way you've portrayed it is that uh, because he's in a minority parliament, Justin Trudeau is going to have to make some choices in order to get the support of either the NDP or the Bloc Québécois and those choices inherently might pit one part of the country against another, right? Well, they could possibly. Um, you know, if you think of the pipeline issue, I mean, he doesn't need... I mean, it starts getting very complicated when you think about it, because you, you factor in the political uh, considerations here. So, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to fathom the Conservatives would vote against it if, if there's some way... I'm not even sure it requires a vote. They want to push ahead with a pipeline project. But where it gets tricky is if the NDP, you don't need the NDP to say we're going to, uh, you know, we're pushing ahead with the pipeline project. We're going to keep constructing it. We're all for it. Conservatives will support support that. Uh, and if there was any kind of a vote involved, and I'm not sure there would be, uh, you don't need the bloc and you don't need the NDP. But you need them for other things. So if that sours the relationship, uh, then you start, you know, Jugmeet Singh has invested a lot of personal capital in saying this is my bottom line. I got six things in my bottom line. You know, a, a, an ambitious climate change plan and pharmacare and dental care and affordable housing. And these are the things he's going to make conditional for his supporters, said he has. And, and maybe he'll back off some of those. But if that well of cooperation is poisoned because, you know, uh, the minority government moves on other issues that the NDP doesn't want and disagrees with, and same for the bloc, then it might make cooperating on those other things a whole lot more difficult. At the same time, uh, Justin Trudeau has a strong minority, and as you pointed out, the Bloc Québécois and the NDP are sending signals that they don't want an election anytime soon. So uh, you wonder if Justin Trudeau's got some leverage here that uh, he doesn't necessarily have to go cap in hand to the opposition parties. Uh, he's He's got a bargaining position. Uh, might he at, at different times call their bluff on some of these issues? Yeah, he could. I think the dangerous part becomes at some point uh, you know, you uh, a lack of cooperation starts to feel more like political bullying. And I suppose everybody's got a breaking point, and I'm not sure what that is. Minority parliaments, we've seen 
I mean, I recall the, the Michael Ignatieff years with Stephen Harper, and, you know, I would say to Stephen Harper, you know, you're on probation, you're on probation, you're on probation, and then every time there was a confidence vote, uh, the Liberals would all disappear to the washroom on Parliament Hill, and the government would survive. So uh, they were on probation, but the probation officer was never in the room, so uh, it didn't have much effect. But at some point, if you understand the conditions, the bottom lines of the other parties you're trying to deal with in minority parliament, there is a way to make that work. And it's by finding areas, at least in the early part of the mandate, areas of common ground. And sometimes that's around language. Let's all agree that we're going to move ahead on the basics for a national pharmacare plan and a national dental care plan. And we're going to make as much progress as we can on that. And we're going to have a timetable for hitting some benchmarks. But, you know, the NDP promise was pharmacare within one year. So if they're prepared to back away from that uh, so that there's significant progress on pharmacare, you know, maybe that works. You know, I think what I'm trying to say is that if you can find areas of agreement and push back, uh, push back the wall so you're not putting one of these parties up against the wall and saying, you know, this is a flat-out uh, deal breaker, uh, then you can last a lot longer as a minority parliament because you haven't forced them, uh, you, you haven't crossed that line in the sand that they've, they've, they've uh, drawn for you. You're getting close to it, but you're not over it. Ultimately, though, I think you're saying national unity is going to be a theme going forward in this session of Parliament. It uh, looks very likely that that's going to be the case, doesn't it? Yeah, I think just look at the breakdown of the votes. Look uh, look at the breakdowns of the vote. Look at the uh, the issues that are dividing the country. Uh, the, you know, and the pipeline's a big one, energy issues. And just the way the, the West feels treated versus they see Quebec being advantaged, uh, whether that's true or not, uh, they, they are now up in arms over... Uh, you know, the, uh, the funding mechanisms, uh, equalization. They, they want lots of changes, but more than anything, they want their, their energy projects approved, and Quebec doesn't want going through its province. Uh, so there's, you know, I mean, there are going to be... He, this, this prime minister, just by the way the votes have broken down across the country, and you have a, the main opposition party winning the popular support, and it's back to that argument about where seats are concentrated and the, and the ridings are concentrated, the Liberal votes more efficient, as we like to call it, because, you know, uh, their support is, is in the big province where all the ridings are, provinces where the ridings are, so they tend to do better even with less uh, voter support. So I believe it is going to be the big issue, and I believe he's the, Justin Trudeau is going to have some challenges in trying to make all this work. Both Andrew Scheer and Jagmeet Singh spoke to the media yesterday, the day after the election. Uh, I think there will be questions about their leadership going forward, though, each have to face leadership reviews, of course, uh, going forward. Um, so where do you think each of them stands right now with their parties? I think uh, Jagmeet Singh is pretty safe. I think, you know, he's he took a party that looked like it was going to, you know, lose the furniture and has managed to save at least the ground floor. Uh, he's one of only two leaders uh, during the campaign. He and he Francois Blanchet, who's you know, positive impressions with Canadians actually, you know, improved over the course of the campaign, where everybody else's uh, went down. And, you know, it, uh, I think there's growth potential for Jagmeet Singh. Nobody ever expected him to form government. So he had a sort of different bar to meet, and a different threshold was set for him. And he, and he managed to, uh, you know, grow during the campaign and turns out to be a more impressive leader than he did at the very beginning. I think for Andrew Scheer, so I think he's fine. Uh, I think for Andrew Scheer, and not only that, the NDP has uh, no money. They, they're not interested in having a, a, another quick election or a leadership convention. Those things all cost money. I think 
Jagmeet Singh, you know, gets another uh, another election try. Andrew Scheer, I'm going to reserve judgment on that, Mark, and it's not for me to say uh, whether he should survive or not. What I'm going to be doing is watching for uh, the first few months of the minority parliament. The, uh, the Conservatives have a, a convention coming up next year. Uh, there's automatically a, a leadership review question after elect, an election if the leader has lost and has not offered his resignation. The party gets to decide if they want to have a leadership uh, review. So that'll happen for Andrew Scheer, and I think the language he's using, you hear him in these uh, meetings with reporters saying, look, look at, you know, uh, look at uh, how well we actually did. We got 25 more seats, we won the popular vote. Um, so he's laying down those markers to say it was actually a pretty successful campaign. There are a number of Conservatives behind the scenes and say, look, uh, Justin Trudeau was supposed to be Prime Minister for 8 or 12 years. He was supposed to be great. And then he had lots of self-inflicted wounds, started... You know, the love affair with Canadians, for a lot of Canadians, uh, faded away. And uh, a good campaign and a good leader should have been able to mop the floor with them because this was our best chance to win, and it didn't happen. So there are going to be some Conservatives thinking that if there's going to be another election in two years, that's plenty of time to get another leader. Uh, Andrew Scheer had his chance. He should have done a lot better and didn't. And they're also going to be saying to themselves, okay, if this is Andrew Scheer's party and these are the policies he believes in, what's going to change about those policies between now and the next election? Canadians didn't buy them this time. He couldn't win the election. And so is he planning to put a different climate plan in the window? Is he planning to move away from boutique, boutique tax cuts? Is he planning to uh, you know, answer some of the uncertainty about social issues? And if he's not, they're thinking we're looking at the same campaign two years from now, if that's when it happened, as the one we had now. And why would it work then if it didn't work now? So there are some questions about his leadership, but I think the next couple of months will tell us uh, just how solid it is. All right, Peter, lots of questions still to be answered. Uh, some of them might be addressed this afternoon when the Prime Minister meets with the media in Ottawa. Thank you for joining us today. As always, my pleasure, Mark. Take care. That's CPAC's Peter Van Dusen. Bottom line is this. Um, with a lot of issues on the plate here and a lot of anger and frustration in Alberta, I want people to keep their eye on the prize. Now let's look at what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. Advice, Drew Brown argues, Canada is truly divided now. Brown writes, After this election, Canada seems less a country than several small semi-countries trapped together in a hall of mirrors. All the provinces are talking past one another, and instead of anything resembling a national vision in Ottawa, we will have a set of regional blocks, all jostling to refashion the country in ways unpalatable to each other. In the Globe and Mail, Lawrence Martin argues that in Canada, disunity comes with the territory. Martin writes, Anyone who thinks Canada's divisions are devastating needs to spend some time in the U.S. or Britain. The schisms are a shock to those lands, but in Canada... What the election produced is more like the norm. In a land as large and diverse as this, regional conflict is to be expected. It is inevitable. A degree of disunity has come to be an almost permanent condition. In McLean's, Paul Wells asks if Justin Trudeau can learn from his mistakes. Wells writes, Minority government is usually a time for defensiveness and short-termism. Trudeau should remember that defensiveness and short-termism got him here. No team lasts long if it is afraid of honest self-criticism. In Canada, a younger Justin Trudeau used to say, better is always possible. It's true, and it was good to hear. That optimistic streak won him election and now re-election. 
But the urge to do better is not just a wish. It's also a mandate. And in an editorial, the Toronto Star argues, Andrew Scheer fails to heed lessons from voters. The Star writes, Judging by his angry remarks on Tuesday, Scheer seems to have convinced himself that his party really won the election because it outpaced the Liberals in national popular vote. He continued to lash out as if the campaign had never ended. What Scheer failed to do is show any sign that he has a real responsibility to rise above his personal disappointment at the election outcome and help to head off the upsurge in Western anger. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. As we've discussed, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau will speak with the media at the National Press Theatre in Ottawa. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, October 23rd. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.